Key Aero, your aviation destination. Historic Aviation. Hello and welcome to the Flypast podcast. For this episode, we've assembled the Flypast editorial team to talk about the magazine. Now, all magazines change over the years and you can't keep rehashing content and anniversaries. So regular readers will have noticed a few changes to the content and layout in recent months. And we thought it'd be a good opportunity to suggest the hows, whys and where the balls and uh, see what's been happening with the magazine over the last couple of months. So let's begin with editor John and talk about what's changed lately. John, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. So um, where we are is we're basically a new team. Three of us are new. Only Steve's been here for, for quite some time. So he's our guru. So we were tasked with um, freshening up the magazine and perhaps trying to make it appeal to a younger audience in as much as that might be a 40 or 50 year old. I'm not talking a, probably a teenager or a 20 year old, although that would be nice too. So, I mean, typically from the letters I get, we appeal to 60 plus and some of our readers are literally in their 80s and even 90s. So obviously there's an issue with those guys disappearing and we need to replenish the readership from below with sort of 14, 50 year olds. So that was a big part of what we tried to do. We also had to differentiate ourselves from Aeroplane, our sister title, and we had a new designer on board who obviously wanted to put his mark on the mag. So we had to try and take all those ideas and kind of bring it all together into a new look magazine. That was our task. And not an easy task either. You know, there's, there's an awful lot of things to sort of balance out and try and get right. You, know, you don't want to annoy the current readership, you know, but then you want to appeal to a newer, a wider audience as well. Absolutely. I mean, people generally don't like change. and None of us do really, but... Um, we had to change, and, uh, and and indeed we wanted to. You always want to freshen up the mag. You know, you're not going to please all the people all the time, but we're we're now in a state of kind of evolving the mag gradually. So I know we got some letters which from people who didn't really like the first redesigned issue or, or elements of it, and you know we we fed back to them. But it is an ongoing process. We'll take everyone's views on board and factor that into our thinking. I suppose the challenge as well was that. It's more evolution rather than revolution. I mean, there was lots of ideas we came up with, but the way we're working from home and how copy has to be presented and what have you, the way we work, it, it couldn't just happen in one hit. It's a case of this is what we can do now. You know, it might not be right, but it's going to evolve with time. Absolutely. I mean, in the old days, and I'm probably talking 10 years ago, 20 years ago, in the heyday of magazines, you would disappear off. The designer and the editor would probably disappear off for three or six months even to go and work up a new magazine, you'd dummy it up. You'd actually create the thing so you could see it before you sent it to market. But these days, that's just not viable. You know, magazine circulations have shrunk. And so we're creating copy live. So we make something and it has to go out. And sometimes even we can see that it's not quite what we envisaged. And that's why I think this will probably take three issues to get it just where we want it. And hopefully, you know, we can take everyone along for the ride with us. And we're all sort of fairly new to fly past, but Steve's been here for a long time. So Steve's always been our go-to guy. And you kind of agreed that there was, there was nothing fundamentally wrong with the magazine in the first place. So it's a case of not trying to reinvent the wheel, but just try and tweak a little bit. Well, yes, exactly. I mean, it's as John was saying, all magazines do go through phases of development. If you follow any title, it will always ha- go through different stages where the design changes because new people are involved or the world has changed, et cetera, et cetera. 
Well, I think um, Flypass continues to do what it always has done, which is to provide news coverage of restorations of warbirds, of stories from World War II and the Cold War. These are the fundamental things we do, really good sort of warbird photography, et cetera, et cetera, and historical pieces. But it's a matter of how we present that and um, how we angle it and to whom do we aim it? Because we can't, as John was saying, we can't aim it at the same people over and over forevermore because readerships change. It's not just the people that work on the magazines, it's the readerships themselves. And also our contributors change too. And one thing I've noticed as someone that compiles the news is that uh, this might sound a little bit morbid, but the fact of the matter is in the last couple of years, three of our key news correspondents have sadly passed away. So um, we always welcome news stories that fly past. They can always be sent to us. We do pay a small amount for them as well, for photos and, and for words. Uh, that's always welcome. And increasingly, a lot of the news does go online onto Key Aero. That's a very important thing to point out. On Key Aero, we can be absolutely up to the minute with news items. They can go on almost right away. Whereas a magazine being monthly is obviously inevitably behind the times in, in, in comparatively speaking. It doesn't mean we won't put news in Flypass, we always will. But if people want the latest news as it comes in to key publishing, the first place to look is probably on Key Aero. I think some of the sort of negative comments I've seen, they've not been a huge amount, but I think people seem to think that maybe we've dropped some of the news sections and we're not as interested in news as we were, but the same amount of editorial content, the same amount of news pages and restoration pages, possibly in the recent months, it's because it's been a bit of a quiet period because it's the winter, but we've not changed any of that. Maybe we've just presented it in a slightly different way. Yes, I think what we're about to do actually is alter that slightly. So we will put the news pages together rather than um, we, we had some news pages sort of scattered throughout our new cockpit section something which we thought would make it more varied and interesting. But I think in general, people prefer the news section to be sort of stacked together. So that is what we will be doing going forward. And you're quite right. Uh, there is traditionally a lot less news during what is in the UK, the winter months, because all of our, our in inverted commas, aeroplanes have been put to bed in the hangars. And they're not flying. There's not an awful lot going on. Um, there's still restorations going on, of course. There's still stuff going on overseas. But the, the scene's not quite as active as it is during the summer months. But, but we have already listened to uh, feedback from readers, and we will be making the news a bit more reader-friendly in forthcoming issues. Yeah, something else we're going to do, um, we're looking at doing, is creating a bit of big database of every restorer, association, club, airfield, basically around the world, as many as we can find and get in touch with them so that we've got hopefully even more news coming in and then we'll have the pick of the best stuff. Because in winter, it can get pretty difficult to find really good news stories, I think. And I think the biggest change that any reader will see was, was the new section that we call cockpit. So the premise of that is that it can get as large as it needs to be. It can be shrunk down if we get different news stories. So, John, maybe you talk to us about cockpit, because that was kind of your baby. That's what you headed up. Yeah, so it was really, that was part of the freshen up, really. And it was really about how we delivered stuff and also adding to the breadth of what we delivered. So, I mean, I'm really into it. I know a lot of people are really into kind of the weird and the wonderful about the hobby that they're into. So I just think it gave us a different uh, forum for having stuff in there. So, you know, it might be Auction Watch or, you know, amazing places you can go that are historic aviation themed. So really, I saw Cockpit as like a real kind of almost anything goes section as long as it's aviation, heritage aviation, you know, they, 
it would just be a warm mix of stuff and some of it you might not be interested in but a lot of it hopefully you would I think that's kind of what, where we came at it from is that quite often something would come in and it didn't really fit anywhere in the magazine. So, you know, is it news or is it a letter? So by having cockpit, you've got somewhere you can actually write about something in a different way. Yeah, I mean, in line with what Steve said about we are, you know, we, we're going to evolve some stuff. And I do think that um, it's possible that some things were, were too big, like maybe the quiz was too big it was a DPS. So we've made that a page now. I do think People generally like a quiz. I know for a fact it's the most popular thing almost every single week on our website. So, you know, there was good reasons for putting the quiz in there. And also, when we took out um, Spotter Challenge in the mag, I think back in the summer, we got lots of complaints, even though I've been led to believe that no one really liked it. So that was the reason for putting the quiz back. But we have evolved it and... You know, in line with other reader feedback, we'll, we can change other things as well, hopefully make it all better. I mean, my perspective of Cockpit, it is, I've, I've been doing a fair few bits for that, is that we need to encourage a new generation of readers. So I don't think people are born with an encyclopedia aviation knowledge, and Cockpit is the place for like a small bite-sized nugget of knowledge, sort of pub trivia. Um, this is where someone with sort of burgeoning interest in historic aviation can learn about, say, Douglas Bader, who he is, why he's well-known in the aviation scene. And worth going for further reading. I mean, if you already know about someone or something we've written about, hopefully Cockpit just reaffirms your knowledge and hopefully tell you something new as well. I mean, you can't assume that everyone who's read the same books as you knows the same facts as you. I kind of think that's, that's the beauty of Cockpit, is it, it's somewhere you can have these little drop-in and outable nuggets. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's exactly the thinking. Dipinable, I think, is a word that I like to use. I mean, maybe this is where we should bring Tara in, because the question we've asked ourselves is whether or not it's the magazine or the website is the best place for this. Is it the same readership? And, you know, should we be catering for two different audiences? Or is there a crossover? Do people go online to Tiero? And do people then read the magazine and vice versa? Yeah, I think evidence does show that, you know, there is a crossover because, for example, with our picture of the month section, there's people that are submitting their pictures, their images, and they want to see them in the magazine. So to me, that suggests that they buy the magazine and that they like the magazine. They want to be featured inside the magazine. So to me, it suggests that there is a crossover. So it's really trying to find that key balance and key, you know, walking line between digital audiences and print audiences, which is a lot harder than you might think, really. <laughs> the thing is, though, print's never going to go away. I mean, we're not thinking the magazine's going to close down or anything like that. It's literally we're trying to cater for two different audiences, I think. Well, we're aware that there's a younger generation coming through who do get their news online first, but then the people who don't go online to get the news still want to read about it in the magazine. So, you know, we're trying to span both genres. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the big challenges, I think. And again, you're kind of feeling your way as you go along. So it was unlikely without doing the big six-month redesign that we would have got that right first time. But I think, we you know, we're pretty close and we're, you know, we, we continue to evolve. And I think as well, I think what a really good thing about having readers that span across both Kiero and Flypast is that you know the readers that don't mind waiting for the for the news that's fine for them but there are some readers who are reading the magazine every month and they're thinking you know oh this happened three four weeks ago in the news section we publish that on the day that we find out any news on Kiero it's there it's available for people to read and actually you don't have to wait for the print magazine to come out. You can physically be getting that news every single day, every single hour, as much as you want. And I think that's where 
Piero and Flypass complement each other quite nicely. Um, yeah, the reality is we now live in a very different society to the one that we lived in really just, I don't know, 10 or 20, just 20 years ago, where we are bombarded almost by websites and social media and all sorts of things. Anyone, anybody that's really keen on hearing the latest aviation news can get it from a variety of formats online. And realistically, as a monthly magazine, we can't compete directly with that. So we have to offer some kind of an alternative. So it might be more in-depth features. It's certainly putting items on key aero, but we can no longer be one source of news for everybody. I understand there may be some people out there who do rely on Flypass and Aeroplane as their main source of news about historic aviation, and that's fine. But generally speaking, we have to acknowledge the world has changed, the world is changing, and the way people get their information and up-to-date news has changed forever from what it was when, when we started this magazine all those years ago. And as we've already said, we're not sort of dumbing down the magazine at all. It's just that all good news will still go in the magazine. Anything of interest will still go in the magazine. We haven't taken anything away from it by adding the cockpit section. That's just a sort of complementary thing. So it's still the same amount of editorial pages. There's still the same amount of features. It's just presented in a different way. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's been interesting. I've had a handful of <laughs> sometimes quite blunt, even rude emails from readers who are obviously quite upset that we've changed the format of their beloved mag. But from our perspective, you've got this big balancing act. So, for example, when we put together any flat plan, you're thinking, how many jets, how many prop aircraft? Do we want Vietnam War? Do we want you know, Gulf War? Or do we just want World War Two? Do we want World War One or Korea? You know, got all these these balances, how technical does it need to be? You sort of start mixing all those up and it, it's quite a, a complex balancing act to try and keep everybody happy. But, you know, again, if if you feel strongly about something, do write in, do email into us. We do read every single email and we'll try to respond, but we'll certainly factor any of your thoughts in and, um, you know, try to evolve the mag in a way that uh, suits most people. I think the only complaints that we've seen not of interest, but the most complaints that are worth paying attention to are people who have got a real genuine interest in something, they've got a real passion for something. There's so many people who've gone down a rabbit hole of interest. And they're the sort of people we kind of want to speak to anyway. You know, if they think we've not got something right, we've not done something in the way they think, then that's the sort of people we want to hear more from. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, for example, I think one thing that wasn't quite, that I wasn't very happy with in the first relaunch was the photography, you know, the the camera gear feature, which, you know, the ethos behind it was good, take better pictures at air shows because almost everyone who goes to an air show is taking pictures using either their phone or maybe an SLR camera or, you know, some quite sophisticated gear. So we were just trying to guide that. But it was one of those scenarios where we created the feature and it wasn't quite what I expected. But, you know, because of working from home and, and deadlines, things like that, we probably didn't have quite enough time to retweak it. And hence, I think we've probably had two or three people quite vociferously complaining about it, you know, so, but we take it all on board. We did also have people that enjoyed that feature as well. So it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. We had a letter, a really nice letter for one of our regular readers, a guy called Alan Mudge, who's been taking photographs of aircraft since his service days in Singapore. And he was quite intrigued by, you know, how people take images of air shows now and how that's changed in his early days of carrying around hugely weighty cameras. But uh, yes, it was an unusual article for us, wasn't it? It was not the sort of thing we normally do, but it's it's good to branch out now and again and do different things. Well, that's the thing, isn't it, as well, is that you've got to keep it fresh. And 
not everyone's going to enjoy every single feature in a magazine. I mean, I, I know I've never read any magazine every single feature cover to cover. There's always something you skip over. I'm not saying there's anything in Flight Pass, but if there's something you don't like, then there's going to be something you do like. And that's kind of how it works. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why we're trying to create quite a diverse mix of content, you know, of different periods of war and aviation, you know, of we've brought some jets in, perhaps a few more jets than normal recently, which again, some people clearly just like World War II, for example, but we cannot just deliver a magazine about World War II and Spitfires, although they are by far the most popular things. You know, we want to expand people's knowledge and expertise, you know, across a wider range of subjects. And I think quite notably as well is that, you know, we will get, it's just going off the point of what you said earlier, James, it's like you can't please everybody because we will get, you know, 10 emails a day saying too many Spitfires and 10 emails a day saying not enough Spitfires. So it's like, where is that crucial balance? And as we've had, and like we've had so many conversations about this, but like, what's the cutoff point for fly past? You know, where where do we stop? Because like the Gulf War now, that's that's a long time ago. You know, should we be doing something on tornadoes, for example? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I'll put the pressure on Steve here because I use Steve as my guru for telling me, you know, with all his years of experience, telling me, you know, what people want. I mean, I, I like tornadoes, but I'm not. I would say fewer of our audience do, perhaps. I think it's. I think if I mean it's, it's only my opinion, of course. I don't get to write the rules here, but I think Flypass will always be primarily World War Two focused. But that doesn't mean that it excludes other things. And uh, we have occasionally done things on Gulf War One, you know, op- op- Victor operations and things like that. And now that the tornadoes are no longer flying with the RAF, I think there's there's no reason why we couldn't do something on that. I mean, our, our remit has generally been towards aircraft that are no longer in active service which, you know, arguably would now include tornadoes. Certainly, we cover tornadoes that are appearing in museums. But yeah, history doesn't stop, does it? So um, Gulf War One is a long time ago now. And um, within the right context, yeah, we, we could cover it. But again, we don't want to overload people with um, relatively modern stuff, because I do feel that primarily flight pass is always going to be focused on on World War Two. Yeah, but personally, I always think... With Flypass, there's such an amount of space in there, and we've got such a broad spectrum of things we cover that you can cover something like that. But then there's always going to be balanced out by the propeller-driven stuff, the you know Second World War stuff, maybe even First World War, which is one of my interests that I'd be keen to see a bit more of in the mag. Yeah, I love I love First World War stuff. It's um, it's some I heard in a, in a really quite amazing statistic today. I'm 50 years old now, and um, 50 years before my birth, World War One was still a recent memory for some people which is an absolutely, for me, utterly shattering and bizarre thing to think about. Because I think about World War One as almost being like science fiction. It's almost impossible for me to get my head around what it was like, you know, because there's so little colour footage, I suppose. It's very hard to experience it. But um, it, maybe it's not as long ago as we think it is. But I think World War One stuff's absolutely fascinating because you we hadn't been flying long at that point. Just going for a flight was a... Was a a perilous adventure those days, let alone being shot at. So, yeah, incredible stuff. Hard to wrap your head around. Yeah, I think something that we uh, sort of debate is also, I mean, I had a letter from a guy yesterday who, again, was kind of rude, but saying that he just wants to read about aeroplanes. But I always love reading the stories, you know, the aeroplanes in action, the missions, the you know, the heroics, all those sort of things, probably, for me, are even more exciting and interesting than reading about the tech spec of an aeroplane. And, you know, again, it'd be good to get feedback from readers on what they think. 
Yeah, I think that comes back to what we were saying earlier. It's like we've all got a different interest and we all have different uh, sort of spheres of, that we're more specialist in or drawn towards. So like for me, vintage aviation isn't just about reading about you know, what a certain aircraft did when it came to service. I mean, I'm interested in what you can do now, you know, where you can see a particular aircraft, what airfield is still available that you can visit, what memorabilia you can buy. And that's kind of what I'm keen to sort of get into the magazine as well. I think all our stuff's fascinating. I don't know which one was it, Tara, who found the a log. Was it a log book you found in a junk shop? Yeah, I uh, near me. There's a garden centre that's got a um, it's got an antique shop in it. And I went in one day and I found this quite tattered looking from the outside log. And I took it to the till, paid for it, it was something like ten pounds, and it ended up being a real Douglas Bader letter that he'd written to somebody and. I showed it to one of the guys that we were writing a piece with at the time, and I can say he was a little bit jealous. (laughs) But yeah, it was all signed by Douglas Bader and that sort of thing. It was just like a random gem that I found whilst Christmas shopping at a garden centre, which is quite nice. Which you need to write up the cockpit for us, don't you, at some point? That's the point of cockpit, isn't it? It's it's like, it's somewhere you can share stuff like that, and people can be made aware that actually there's, there's a lot of sort of history you can get involved with quite cheaply if you just know where to look. Or get lucky. Yeah, very lucky. <laughs> very lucky, yeah. Or simply by going into a certain pub or restaurant or inn or hotel, which you may not realise was once the haunt of fighter pilots or bomber pilots. There's usually a bit of history left from those from those days. Maybe they've signed things. Maybe their names are written on the wall. There's something. There's a lot of history in Ornwell, not every locality, but in a lot of a lot of places you might not expect to find it. And that's the thing as well, is that there's a lot of history waiting to be discovered, not just read in a book that someone else has written years ago. That's the beauty of what we're trying to do, I think, is we're trying to share some of that stuff with the readership now. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that our uh, tour of Lincolnshire that we did, that just that one-day tour was, was great. It was great for me. I just discovered so much and learned so much. Going to the Petwood Hotel, places like that, where and you can kind of soak up the atmosphere and see the stuff on the walls and the, the documentation and all the trivia stuff up. Yeah, that was just amazing. And I think it'd be good to know again if readers like that type of thing. Yeah, I think we've been talking you know, behind the scenes about doing that again, you know, maybe something to do with Fighter Command, visiting some of the bases and memorials down south. John, why don't you tell us about some of the things we've got coming up in the next couple of issues? Oh, let me have a look. Okay, so we're just starting work today on our April issue. And we have in that issue uh, the top 15 Allied fighters of World War Two. So that's our lead feature. So you'll have to wait to see, A, what they are, and B, what order they're in. I mean, there are some obvious inclusions. So that's, I think, that's a 10 or 12-page feature with some fantastic illustrations by Andy Hay. We've also got the classics feature on the JUH-8 bomber. We've got Dave Unwin flying an Avro Anson. James visited the Fleet Air Arm Museum. And we compared the new and old Texans. So along with other stuff, I think that's quite a nice mix there, kind of varied mix for people. And then just quickly on the following month is a Falklands special. So it's actually, what would that be, 40 years since the Falklands War. So um, we're going to take a look at that. And, yeah, we've got some fascinating stuff lined up. Going back to what Steve was saying, the Falklands for me, living memory, it didn't feel that long ago. But when you say it's 40 years, that's quite a crazy (laughs) amount of time, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was on a school trip to France when uh, the Falklands War broke out, or when war was declared. Obviously, it didn't kind of break out for some weeks after, but um, yeah, blimey, 40 years, it's frightening. 
Time is a mysterious and elastic concept. <laughs> that one, it, once the older you get, the harder it is to actually get your head around it. You know. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, and again, it's another one for debate, isn't it? Some some people might not want to read about the Falklands. I mean, obviously, it was a um, pretty intense what two or three months that it lasted, and there's some great stories and some great aircraft and aircraft carriers. But it's not World War Two, so it'll be very interesting to see what sort of response we get to that. But we're going to be talking to pilots who were there. We're going to be discussing the hardware. Yeah, so looking forward to that. I mean, I think the purpose of this sort of podcast wasn't sort of to justify what we've done with the read side, but I think we kind of we've explained our thought process behind it, why the magazine's slowly evolving the way it's going. I think everyone's gonna be happy with that. You know, we've not forced anything on anybody. I think we've got reasons behind what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing just gets thrown in, really. It's all thought about. And yeah, we, we're kind of design-wise, we're perfecting it as well. So it, it looks a bit different. It, we, we've tried to make it different from aeroplane because there's no point in us putting out two mags that kind of look the same. We'll largely probably have some of the same news in. So really, we've taken the initiative to try to be a bit different and uh, hopefully we can take readers along for the ride. I think that's a good place to leave it. Thanks very much, everybody. Thanks. Cheers. This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to catch up with you again soon.